Doesn't it shrink in the cold? Doesn't metal shrink in cold? We'll put it I'll, outside. I'll tell you what shrinks. You probably squeeze it out. <laughs> yeah. It's just gonna make your breath like nice and fucking fresh. It's a for breath. It's for breath. Read it. They're called hustle drops. All right, I'll, I'll take it on camera. Give it to me, baby. Just, uh, just one drop. Just one drop. This episode sponsored by Hustle Drops. Are you sick of bringing bad breath to your game? Fix it all up. That's he started laughing. You fucking with me? No, that's a lot. It's fucking super peppermint. I love it. I love it. It feels good. I'm fucking wired already. What's up, Jake? Jake. That's probably good. One drop. One drop. That's all you're gonna do. Woo! Oh shit! It's a lot of stuff. A little cappuccino cup from a little Everett. Oh, you took it. How did you walk out with that? Like this. Like I'm your friend. Bye today. Thank you. At breakfast this morning. Everybody dying. Yeah, so that's what I was trying to call you. I wanted you to come and meet us for breakfast. Uh, question before we start the pot. Well, you're fucking tall. I can't even ask you this question. If, you, if for every inch you grew, you lost an inch on your penis, would you get, would you change anything? Or would you say the same? only be two inches taller. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we're going to start shooting now. We're doing this. You ready? All right, Tony. You go ahead. Is this good here or what? Yeah, it's gonna pick up your voice. You really don't have to talk into as much as these ones. So, Tony, Capaletti, Zach Dingy. The normal. You're the host, I'm the co-host. This is correct. We got Jake Garay in the building. The I big man. Yep. You got Garay? Okay. Garay. Garay. Okay, Jake Garay. Everybody in my family says it differently, so. Siri says However it. However you want to call it. When I say Gary. call Jake Garay, it's like Jake Garay. Siri, <laughs> Siri uh, puts a little Gary. accent on it. Just a little accent on it, but if you guys don't know Jake, he's a ro- local realtor here in Hudson Valley. He's going to give his story and everything in a little bit. Um, we're going to get into kind of the topic of uh, the market today: real estate, buying real estate, investing. And Jake's, uh, weren't you like number one in Hudson Valley? Our team is, yeah, number one in Hudson Valley. Uh, the Blake Michaud team, Berkshire Hathaway. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Shout out to them. Yeah. Just doing it big. <laughs> you Glad know we it. All got here safe today, too. By the way. Yeah, it's snowing out today here in New York. Out of nowhere, I feel like. On the way here. Where'd you come out? From From LaGrange. LaGrange, okay. Yeah. So you live in LaGrange. Well, I'm in Wappingers, but I was in my office this morning. Oh, right, right, right. So you had a meeting this morning. All right, well, I think the appropriate way to start it is, you know, let's get some background on you. Yep. Where you, you know, where'd you go to school? Education. Spill the beans. So, uh, born and raised in the Hudson Valley. So, moved up to LaGrange from Mayapac when I was like four years old. Went to Arlington my entire life. I did go to prep school for two years in high school and then ended up coming back. Uh, And my main focus growing up was always in sports. So I played soccer, hockey, and baseball growing up. Oh, my Uh, God. What a waste, bro. Basketball. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that out loud. (laughs) (laughs) No basketball, bro? bro. No, you're definitely an athlete. A big dude. Yeah, I mean, my whole family is very athletic. Um, So we just were a big sports family. My dad had us, you know, playing all different types of sports when we were three years old. I started playing hockey. What was your main? Uh, hockey. Yeah. You yeah. Big hockey. So I, um, you know, once I got to high school, I started focusing mostly on hockey and playing a lot of travel hockey all across the country. Um, and then that was part of why I went to prep school for two years. So I went to Salisbury Prep in, in uh, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went there, ended up coming back because I had an opportunity to play some junior hockey um, with a coach who, who I had a good connection with. So I did that. After high school, so in hockey, the, you don't go directly to college most of the time. It's okay. not like most sports where they do a lot of um, junior hockey, which is essentially like a bridge between high school right. and – It's and like your path that you exactly. take to get into the program. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, and it depends on, you know, American hockey now is much more advanced than it was even, then, say, yeah. 10 years ago. Um, so college hockey is a really good avenue to go to the NHL, whereas it usually was primarily just like major junior hockey, a lot of guys from overseas, um, and then some American guys. It was very small compared to what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. I played junior hockey for a year, and basically my whole intention of pursuing that was just to go play college hockey and then yeah. see where it went. Uh, and I just got burnt out. I decided it wasn't something I really wanted to do. It became more about, you know, the the. it was more of a job than it was I was playing for, like, the wrong reasons. Yep. Uh, and then once I decided not to pursue hockey anymore, I decided that, you know, for college, it didn't really make a ton of sense because I've always been more of an entrepreneurial type of person. I come from a, an entrepreneurial background. My father has owned his own business for about 40 years. And so for me, it didn't really make a lot of sense to go and spend two hundred fifty or three hundred thousand dollars on an education, and you know, put myself in a lot of student loan debt. Um, to... This guy's ahead of the curve, people. <laughs> that was about three episodes a, ago. Yeah. Is this a pro or anti college podcast? Uh, depends. Depends. We have podcast, yeah. right? The, like three episodes ago, we had a whole questions. hour. We answered every single one of those questions. It's on the episode. <laughs> All right, so I'll have to Send go back and, and check the uh, – Listen, bro, <laughs> check I, that out. I, he, what, he, he tried college twice and, and left, and I tried college for like three months. You know, they say third so time's a charm. Yeah. Well, I'll, <laughs> I'll never find out. I promise. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I basically decided, you know what, why don't I more so than anything bet on myself? And, and look, yeah. my opinion is really that if you're not going to do something specialized, so if you're not going to become a doctor or a lawyer or something that really requires – a you know degree in that field like mm-hmm. i was going to go for business and it's like what are you going to study in business if if anything you're really just going for the relationships that you make and the people that you yep. meet yes. and okay. so for me i really decided you know what i'd rather invest that type of money in myself in different avenues whatever it may be education opportunities investing in business yep. you know and that's exactly that's it that's the, you don't have to watch the episode now <laughs> that's all i said all right so there's Pretty the spark much. notes on it yeah 30 Cliff seconds notes. that was the yeah so yeah so uh, I decided, so I, I was working the family business. So my, my family's background is in real estate. My dad's been a builder, general contractor for a very long time. He's been a real estate investor. Uh, and my focus was more so originally I, I was working with him on the jobs, which mm-hmm. is how I gained some construction experience. Smart. And then I decided very quickly that I didn't want to do that anymore, mainly because so you were working with a tool belt. Exactly. You weren't all, you weren't for that. I mean, I enjoy working, but it's not something that I, I looked at the long term and I said, you know, it just wears on your body. It's yeah, a long it's day. Bad. It's exhausting. Absolutely. By the time you get home every day, you don't have the energy to go and do the types of things that you want to do to set yourself yes. up for the future. And so I decided, you know what, I'd rather work with my brain than with my hands, yes. you know, and kind of try and work based on, you know, myself. Yep. And so then I took more of a, a kind of administrative position where I was working in the office, kind of running the back end of things, marketing, things like that. Um, and long story short, I got into real estate more so because my father was like, look, I've had a very difficult time building a good relationship with a broker who really, you know, finds me good deals, finds me good opportunities. Uh, Because in real estate, it's all about who you know more than anything. It really is a relationship-based business. And so he said, why don't you go get your license and, you know, kind of dip your toes and see what you think of it. And then we can kind of get some inside information, find out what's going on in the market. How old were you when that that. happened? So I was was 20 when I started the course – and by the time I was licensed, I was 21. Okay. Oh, so still young, though. Yeah. Still so young. the average real estate agent 
from the National Association of Realtors is a 57-year-old yeah. woman by demographics. Yep. So it was a little bit of a different, <laughs> it kind of stuck out a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was kind of my foray. I started off very casually just kind of, you know, doing that. And then eventually I said, you know what, I'd really like to try and, you know, give this a shot and do it yep. full time, yep. um, which is what I did after about a year. And it's kind of... Uh, and now how old are you? I'm 27. I have so to think about that. For six years You're straight. asking the tough questions. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to stump you today. And you love it. I do, yeah. I honestly, I mean, to me, it's not, it's not a job. It's something that, because I'm interested in what we're doing, right. it's a great opportunity to just get out. You meet a lot of different people from all different walks of life, and you're just tied into the community. You get to hear about the things that are going on. You hear mm-hmm. about the projects. You, you just... You hear a lot of different stories, which are really interesting, mm. um, but it's just a lot of different opportunity and a lot of different people that you can kind of meet, and, and it just opens the door to so many different right. things. And because it matches your personality type. Well, yeah, you exactly. Know? And you I don't think look like a tool belt. <laughs> no. You look like some guy who you talk to and you go to building relationships. I met you what twice. Yeah, you have a pretty good relationship. Absolutely, already. no, for sure. And that's what I enjoy. I mean, it's 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 nice to be able to sit down, do something like this, get to know each other, find out how. Because real estate feels a need for everybody, right? Whether it's in business or whether it's in, um, you know, just in your everyday life, everybody needs a place to live, you know? So it's really something that applies to 100% of the population. So it's a really cool thing because you do meet all different types of people. Whereas when you're in specific industries, sometimes you're only surrounding yourself with, you know, one type of person or a couple of different types of people. So it's just cool to meet different types of entrepreneurial minded people and having a background in investment. I mean, that's kind of the piece that's really I'm the most passionate about is is the investment side of things coming from that background, just because I feel so strongly about the opportunities that it presents, especially for, for young people like ourselves. Um, now what type of investments exactly are you into? So, you know, from a real estate perspective, I mean, we look at basically everything. So they could be flip opportunities. So just buying, you know, renovating and then selling. Yep. They could be long-term holds. Obviously, my philosophy is when you're really young, it's an accumulation game, yeah, right? Exactly. So you're trying to buy as many things as possible. Yeah, um, exactly, yeah. because, you know, the long-term benefits for real estate are in the, you know, the holding of it over time, the accumulation of it, yeah, because you're getting it. For itself. Exactly. Without you coming out of pocket at all. Exactly, because, I mean, really what happens is once you acquire the property and then you, you know, get it to wherever you need it to be to feel like it's stabilized, yeah. the tenants are going to be paying your mortgage payment and all of your bills. Even yeah. if you're not making any monthly cash flow, you're still yeah. building a savings account for down the yeah. road. Yeah. You know, so, so the so more... method. Exa- well, the bur- I mean, that's... In today's market, if you want to talk about the market, that's the best opportunity, right? Is if you can find properties that require a lot of work um, and and that you have the capability of doing that, that's the best way to go. Because, you know, the market has come up so much in the last 24 to 36 months Mm -hmm. that it's really difficult to compete on market. I mean, we've seen it just out looking at properties. I mean, you know, the last property that we put that offer in, I was like 12 12 offers on one property. You and we put I mean? an offer for like 45000 over asking and still yeah. Yeah. lost. And from my experience, like, so me and my brothers got in this game and we wanted to do Burr from the start. Yep. For anyone who doesn't know, it's when you buy a property, you renovate it, you rent it, you refinance and repeat. So it's called Burr, right? So you pretty much buy the property, hold it, make money off it, let it pay yep. for itself over a long-term period. Um, back in, I think we bought our first one in like 2012. And we got this building, two unit for, uh, I think, $130,000. And it was rented. 
It was a shithole. It, <laughs> it was livable. Yeah. So we, <laughs> Barely. We, you know, got the tenants out, rented it, whatever. Renovated it. We just went and looked at another one. Same fucking deal, except it wasn't rented. One of the apartments was renovated and rented. Then the upstairs destroyed, like demo. Dude's asking three fifteen. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. What the fuck? It's you can't even like justify that. Well, it's a couple of different things that have happened, right? So you look at 2008 artificially, not artificially. I mean, there was it was a real crash, but. Yeah. Anytime you have a correction, human nature is to go to both extremes, right? Yep. So in 05, 06, and 07, prices were so far beyond what they should have been. But then the overcorrection of that was that for years, real estate was undervalued. Yep. It was never as cheap as it was supposed to be, and it was never as, you know, it was never worth as much as the prices were in 05, 06, and 07, but it was never as, as, as cheap as, it should, as the pricing was. Yep. It was artificially, you know, lower. Yep. And so... You're coming out of that, and and in the Hudson Valley, we really saw the bottom of the market in like 2011 and 2012. So you hear a lot about 2008 because that was when the stock market crashed, and it just it happened so quickly, right? Yeah, Six yeah. to 12 months, you know, 25, 30 percent, exactly. I mean, you you don't. It was the largest real estate crash that the United States has ever seen. I mean, you don't see that in real estate because the common, you know, the the big mistake that people made was that oh, real estate always goes up, yeah. right? And it was like this one idea that kind of was the base of this entire thing and then you had fraud and you had so many different you know things going on but after that when pricing started to come back around 2012 which is when you bought your first property right so you probably bought right at the bottom and then you look at interest rates back then and interest rates even back then were lower than they were today or i'm sorry higher than they were today that's how low interest rates well i got a fha well that's so you're but what was the rate on the first property that you bought Probably high twos. Three seven. Three seven. Three seven. Yeah. So even today, an FHA loan, you're looking at three one two five. So you look at the market today versus then, and you're in the lowest of the low, and the rates were still higher than they are today. Yeah. So you look at that, and you look at the, just the fact that you know the whole entire landscape of like really the, the working landscape is all changing, right? So. Yeah. There's a couple of different factors at play, right? You look at COVID, and everybody thinks that COVID caused the entire real estate market to go crazy. Yep. But it's, you know, talking on a localized level here in the, in the Hudson Valley, yep. the trends that we've seen throughout COVID were already happening, really? right? So That's interesting, because I was going to, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, so you we- don't s- think this is all- No. Really? No, not at all. So, and the reason being, and, and look, there's, there's a caveat to that, right? People here- that this is you know meant to happen or it was going to happen anyway, yeah. and it's a couple of different pieces. There's nuance to that conversation because first and foremost, it took what probably would have happened over maybe a five, six, seven, ten year period, and it did it in 24 months. Okay, so that is the effect. It accelerated it. Yes. Okay. So, so I mean, it had an effect then. It did. It did have an effect for sure, but it wasn't the cause of what's going on. It was just what was going to happen. But it was going to happen so, over a longer period of time. Okay, so COVID sped the. Exactly. Because in 2015, 2016, we already saw this trend and there were outliers, right? So really progressive companies. We are more so a commuter market, right? So we don't have massive employment base in Fortune 500 companies here. You know, historically we had IBM. That was it. We're starting to see some companies coming in, especially in manufacturing and distribution, but mostly 
people who are, are working here, they commute, right? They commute to Lower Westchester, they commute right. to Rockland County, New right. Jersey, and then obviously New York City, which is really the majority That's of where people... That's so lovely in the morning. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you look at that, and what was happening was around that time, the progressive companies were starting to say, hey, you can work remotely one day a week or two days a week. And so that opened to the door for some people who were willing to make the sacrifice to say, look, if I'm not commuting to Manhattan five days a week and it's three days a week, then that means I can maybe work three days a week and then be home four days a week. Right. Yeah. Right. So now you can spend five, six hundred thousand dollars and get a gorgeous three, four thousand square foot house on a couple of acres with an in-ground pool. Yeah. Or you can go down to lower Westchester, have a 40 minute commute into Midtown and pay, you know, six hundred thousand for fourteen hundred square feet. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And no acres. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a no a privacy. Lot. And it's just a lot of congestion. Yeah. Yeah. And so those people were starting to buy up here. Yeah. I mean, in 2017, 65% of sales in Dutchess County, over 400,000, were to buyers from out of the area. Wow. Really? So in, that was in 2017. That's so saying six out of every 10 or seven out of every 10 buyers then were coming from out of the area. Yeah, so it was already... It was already pretty significant. Yeah. And then what happened is right around 2017, hmm. 2018... We also had inventory constraints, right? The so there's two big factors in the whole market right now, which is inventory yeah. and interest rates. And they're kind of fueling this entire thing because as interest remains, as interest rates remain low, money's cheap, yeah. right? So it's like if you can get interest rates at 3%, even 4%, I mean, we just saw inflation at 6 and 7%. Yeah, so you're talking about right free yeah. money, yeah. right? You're, you're, you're The bank is free. losing money. Yeah, the bank is free. losing money on your loan. Literally. That's really what it comes down to. And so that makes purchase prices go up because it's like buying a car. When you go and sit with a car salesman, what does he ask you? What do you want your payment to be? Yeah. He doesn't Selling say, payment. what do you want to pay for this car? He yeah. says, what do you want the payment to be? What and they say, afford monthly? 400 a month. And then he knows, okay, well, I can buy, you know, I can sell you this car for this amount and it's going to be a three-year, you know, uh, financing or four-year financing and the price goes up every single time. Mm -hmm. And Dude, eventually- was, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, eventually they end up trying to sell you the six or seven year That's exactly what I was gonna say. term because the payment's the cheapest. Dude, I was looking at an Audi R8 and for like supercars and things, I, bro, they'll do like 10 year payments. Oh, yeah. They'll, like, bro, just pay 500 bucks a month for 10 years. They're actually doing 40 year mortgages now in some cases. What? And you got to remember, That's historically. Wild. Is that realistic? No. I mean. And for look, an investment property, maybe it just depends on everybody's like. There's no black and white in anything, right? Yeah. It's it's, yeah, it's, it's there's exactly. You got to look at the situation and weigh all the options and just run an analysis on what you're gonna do. Yeah. But if you're buying is it realistic that somebody's gonna live in the same house for forty years? No Hell shot. No. no. But if you're buying a commercial property and you want to build a huge business, why not have the overhead a lot lower by? Exactly. Well, and that's why that's why they have interest-only mortgages on commercial properties. Yeah. I mean, you start talking about commercial properties, and it's like. Any, every, all bets are off, right? A yeah. Anything is on the table because it's all just a business decision. Right. It's just opportunity cost. If you have a dollar to invest, it's where can I get the best return for this dollar? Yeah. And that's it. And however you have to structure that deal to make the best return is what you do. Yeah. So um, when you look at basically buying, right? A, when you go to the mortgage broker, they don't say, hey, um, you know, you can buy, the, the first step is not, you can buy $300,000 house or $400,000 house. They look at your debt to income ratio. So yeah. they factor in what your income is every single month. And then they look at what debt you owe, car payments, credit cards, student loans, all of that. And they're going to factor a payment of 
X. So let's say you can afford a $2,000 a month payment. Well, that $2,000 a month payment is a factor of what the price is, the taxes are, yep. the insurance on that house, and the interest time. rates. Yeah. So if interest rates are really low, you're paying a lot less interest. As interest rates go up, your amount of purchasing power goes down because as interest rates go up, that cost of the money is becoming more and more expensive. Right. So it eats away at what principal payment you're making every single month. So if you were you know, at 3%, and these are just arbitrary numbers, you'd yeah. have to run the math, but yeah. if, if at 3% you can buy a $300,000 house, at 4% you might only be able to buy a $275,000 right. house. Right. And so as interest rates continue to rise, or what happened was as interest rates were decreasing, Purchasing power was becoming oh, wow. greater and greater, yeah. and then you have inventory constraints. So you have, two th so historically Americans would move every seven to ten years. Yeah. Right now it's it's much more than that. It's fifteen plus years people are moving on average. Really? Homeowners. The reason Maybe being is so many people purchased in oh four oh five oh six and oh seven, and then values cratered. And until two thousand and nineteen, two thousand twenty, and and really for some people two thousand twenty one, you still your house was worth less or the same as what you paid for it when you purchased right, it. So you or hold it. exactly. Or a, another thing that people did, Interesting. They, they built. Wow. Yeah. A lot of people built during that time. There was a massive building boom, right? Yeah. And so you got this house for say four hundred thousand dollars in two thousand and four. And now you're looking at the market and you're saying, okay, my house might be worth five fifty, right? But what am I going to buy for, what am I buying? Yeah, Where am I going? Yeah, right? Yeah. So what's happening is now prices have con gone up so much that unless you're leaving the, the county, the state, and heading down south to a more, for, more affordable market, or you have to move for work, or you have this massive house, right? 6,000 square feet, 7,000 square feet, whatever it is, uh -huh. and you're downsizing, where are you moving? Yeah. So people aren't selling. Oh. You know, if you owned a raised ranch that, you know, was 2,000 square feet and you've been there for 15 years, yeah, it's worth a lot more money, but what are you going to buy? Right. Because a, a What are you going to turn it? How does it make sense? Exactly. Like, if you live in the southern part of Dutchess County, your three-bedroom, two-bathroom ranch that's 1,500 square feet is worth $350,000, $400,000, right? But what do you buy for – if you sell yeah. that and you downsize, what are you buying? And even trying to rent for a little bit, dude. Rentals. Rents, rents have gone up even more, more yeah. than pricing on a, on so a percentage basis. So you can't even basis. move out and wait, wait yeah. in a rental because I mean, you know, money. look at Poughkeepsie. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I right? haven't adjusted my rents, so looks no. Like but I mean, I I bought my my property in 2020. My rents are now two hundred dollars below market value in a year and you know five months. In July of 2020 to jump, January. What what are the rents? What are the rents? They're get, they're paying fourteen hundred a month. Dude, that's fucking in 30, 40, That's a for a one bedroom. That's a twenty percent increase for a one bedroom. That's a twenty percent increase to sixteen hundred. I actually have tenants who have come to me and said. We'll pay you sixteen twenty five, and we'll move in to to move into oh. my building, and they're like, we'll move in right away, but I don't have any vacancy to fill those those apartments. Right. But that just shows you where the rents have come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Poughkeepsie in twenty fifteen, you could rent a two bedroom for nine hundred nine fifty, yeah. and so and but but again, this is all you know getting into what drives these things when you don't have evictions and you don't have the normal turnover, yeah. right? Yeah. People aren't moving. Yeah. If you have a two-bedroom apartment and you're leased at fourteen hundred a month, are you going to move when that apartment is now eighteen hundred a month? No Hell no. no yeah, so you're not getting the normal turnover. That's, right? a, that's a very interesting case of cause and effect. I, I, the whole I market is a cycle right now, 
And what's yeah. happening is historically you used to be able to build yourself out of inventory constraint. But when building materials are 40%, 50% up and there's no vacant land to build on. And then on top of that, you know, you also look at municipalities taking 12, 24, 36 months in some cases, if you're looking at large scale developments, just to get the approvals done. Yep. Who knows what the market looks like three years from now? That needs to be fixed. I I hate this. It's the worst thing in the world. They're so so sluggish and they just hold everything. Everything takes forever. Get your shit together. (laughs) Please. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to be listening to this. You should just run for office. <laughs> yeah, no shot. <laughs> That's a dirty game. Dude, hell no. So wait, let me ask you then. So you're talking about this. That's been the previous like 24 to 36 months. What's like short term in the next 12 to 18 months? Is it going to – are you thinking it's going to change at all? Because I know the market's kind of starting to dull down a little bit. Or are you thinking it's going to be same so, concept? There's a couple of – like so it, it's tough because look, nobody has a crystal ball, right? Of there's course. like so many – things that could happen that we're completely speculating on. You have massive inflation. We just printed more money. You know, what did they say? I think it's 40%. Exactly. Well, listen, and it's not 6. They think the last time I said, I think it said 6.2 or 6.7% inflation this year. If that's the number they're telling you, it's much higher. Dude, it's it's at least 10%. Exactly. At minimum, it's double. I mean, we see it in our everyday life, right? So you know what's going on. But point being is, First off, we're not going to see a massive influx of inventory. Yeah. It's just not possible. No People think that there's this wave of, of um, foreclosure inventory coming. And the issue there is, first and foremost, if you're upside down on your home, how? Right? Because what year did you buy your home in where it's worth yeah. less? Unless you became so far behind and then you've had interest accumulation and things like that. And look, there are individual situations where things like that will happen. But on the grand scheme of things, if you look at the numbers, the vast majority of people who did end up asking for some form of forbearance during COVID are no longer in forbearance, have caught up. Um, So there is no massive influx of, of, you know, foreclosure inventory coming, right? right? So that's number one. Number two, the building, you know, like we just talked about, that's at least two to three years out if we can even find those developments and and that land to build. The short term, looking at 2022, the question is where do interest rates go? I fully anticipate that we're going to see interest rates close to 4% or more. And there's also two conversations here, right? Because you look at the investment side of things, which is something that we're all in every single day. And then you look at the regular kind of single family market. Which is most people. Exactly. Which is what most people are going to be more interested in. Um, The reality is that most large organizations are forecasting appreciation in the range of 3 to 5% every single year for the next five years. Oh, property. Correct. So real estate is relatively stable. We're not going to see 10, 15, 20% appreciation because let's face it, that's unsustainable. It's It's like if the stock market goes up by 40% every single year. Eventually, you just reach a point where it's going to crash, right? So it's unsustainable. That's a different story. (laughs) Exactly. And and that's a whole other conversation. Well, here's another thing I want to bring up real quick before we get too far off of it. And We're talking about the market pretty much being short on supply. Yep. Uh, And you said part of that was because you couldn't evict people, which was a big thing during COVID. Right. Right. And that's not over. Didn't they just pass a bill? New York passed a bill. So, so it's not that they passed the bill; they let it expire. Okay. They let it expire as of January fifteenth. So what was happening was it was a temporary pause on evictions. That was not temporary. So ended up lasting. Oh yeah, way longer than a exactly. Any money to their landlords. 
Correct. Which was and New York's already owed. Oh, I know landlords who are owed hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's crazy. And, How and long the, did this go on for? So it was filed in March of 2020, and it just expired in January, January 15th of 2022. Eight so months. it was almost two years. Two oh, years, oh, 2020. Two year, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're oh, talking shit. about 20 yeah, to 20. But what's crazy is, and what's really interesting for the investment side of things, is two, two conversations. Number one, um, there was a tremendous amount of landlords who wanted to sell their buildings and couldn't. Because as a buyer, are you going to buy something sight unseen? Yeah. Some buyers will, but you're going to want a significant discount versus the market value. So let's say you have a building that's worth $300,000. If you can't get access to that building, then every investor who would be willing to buy it is going to price in their risk, right? They're yeah. going to yeah. say, how much is this building worth if I have no idea what the inside looks like? Right. If worst. I can't even you see, worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. Exactly. Yeah. Everything's destroyed. So what do you knock off? $75,000, $100,000? Yeah. And then the landlord says... Okay, do I take a haircut and and sell for a massive loss, or do I continue to eat the loss on my rent? Yeah. So Jesus. this was going on. Now that's over. Evictions can happen, and what's crazy is during that entire process, there was no mechanism. It, it, so what common sense would tell you was, look, the idea was you were supposed to have a hardship due to COVID. If you had a hardship due to COVID, oh. that you would be you would have relief. From your rent, you wouldn't have to pay your rent. Mm -hmm. Perfectly normal thing. It's yeah, a reasonable it's thing. It's not even normal. It's fucked up. The government's like, yeah, here's your handout. Well, no, we're gonna fuck your <laughs> The government is you're the welcome. one that shut down the country. That then tells yeah. you, oh, you're not gonna work. Right. Now let me give yeah. you Here, the handout. Well, work. here's free living on this guy. <laughs> exactly. Enjoy. What? And then what? The problem was that they continued to kick the can down the road. Right? They yeah. didn't look at saying, okay, who can we help? Right? Who can we? Who? How do we provide stimulus? in a way that we can help the people who need it. But the problem with any program like that, as we all know, is that you get people who take advantage of it, yeah. right? And so what happens is, it, what's crazy is you would think, common sense would tell you, look, you have a hardship, you lose your job because of COVID, right? You go on unemployment. Well, first of all, there's another conversation to be had about if you're receiving additional income for being on unemployment, I think the idea was that you were supposed to pay your rent. Right, but right. that money wasn't going. They got the extra money, money, and then and then didn't pay their expenses. Rent. Yeah. Exactly. Trust anybody with extra money. Who Correct. <laughs> so then they had then they, so at the base of it, they said, which is crazy. They say, Zach, you own a property, mm -hmm. right? Your tenants um, are not paying you rent. They're, mm -hmm. They they have a hardship. You have to prove that they don't have a hardship. They didn't have to prove their hardship. You had wow. to prove their That's hardship. So How the hell are you going to do that? So ass backwards. Because then it becomes so. It's one thing if they have to prove their hardship. Then you're actually working for that money to some degree. Right. You're at least going to prove it. Exactly. But now it's the opposite way. That turns you have into to prove like them wrong. Case. It's exactly it's what you bullshit. had to do. You literally had to get an investigator, something, call their employers, find out if they're working. Who the hell knows? Spend more money to get the money you're losing, rather than. Oh, and by the way, when they passed the laws back in, I believe it was 2019, you are not allowed to collect anything in an eviction proceeding besides late rent. So attorney's fees, all rent payments, shit. all so that not stuff even worth is no longer able wow. to be collected. So we can have another conversation about okay. how you can collect that, Was that because federal? there is a way. No, New York okay. State only. Thanks, New there's York. A whole, there's a whole narrative here. This is yeah. a chain of everything's tied together. Yeah. Nothing doesn't happen. You know, Everything yep. happens for a reason. Yep. So they did have the ERAP program, which was the emergency rent app, emergency relief. I don't even remember what the acronym stands for. Yep. But essentially, it was rent relief that tenants could file 
and would be paid directly to the landlord, which was good. So from I know the state. from the state. So it was federal money That's allocated to fair. the states. This was the big controversy when Cuomo was in office because New York, despite being the state with, I believe, the highest amount of people not paying rent in terms of the dollar amount, they were allocated the most amount of money besides maybe California. They were the last ones to actually distribute the money. So it was just like another way of, of screwing the landlords, right? Because it was like, oh, we've got the money. We can get you the money. We have the ability to get you the money, but we're going to wait three or four months, hmm. right? So this all went on. Wow. And then uh, you could file, the, either the landlord could file on behalf of the tenant or the tenant could file. And you know they would essentially be allocated whatever missed rent, plus you could actually apply for the next two months of rent in advance. So I do know people who did this and received $25,000, $35,000 of back rent, which was great. Yeah. That money dried up very quickly. Yeah, sure. The portal was closed. It was recently reopened. You can apply for it if you have people who are, who are late. I don't know if any of that money is even left. Yeah. So that's, that's where we're at. Now they did allow, which I was shocked by, I think everybody was, that they allowed the eviction moratorium to expire. But I'll tell you right now, there are things coming in the state legislature that are going to change the landlord-tenant rules for the entire state. To so, whose benefit? Who do you think? I hope. Dude, New I'm York wrong, is. But you're right. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. It's the tenants. Tenant. It's unbelievable. It's New York is a very, very, extremely tenant New York, friendly, dude. It's, it's almost keep you down state. It's scary. It's, 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 it's legitimately scary. neck and neck for, for most, you know, It's legitimately scary. Um, and which... Ca California just posted the other day that they now, now want to raise their whole state rate, double, state taxes double. It was like 9%. Now they want to do 18 too. Like, I don't know... Aren't how much more these states, state state, bro? Right I don't how know how much more bad shit you could do. Yeah. How bad could you possibly? It looks like I am running. <laughs> Who's voting for me? I'm well, sick of this today, shit. Well, on today's podcast, <laughs> yeah. Tony announces he's running. Running for president. Uh, when's the next election? Yeah. Well, which know. which one do you want to run for? Dude, that's some tough I'll, shit. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm running for Texas or somewhere south. Dude, yeah. That's what I'm running for. Well, there are so still scary. a lot more running for the hills. Landlord. Yeah, friendly states, right? You go down south, you go to Georgia, Florida, Texas, they are much more landlord friendly. Yeah. Now, what's yet to be seen is the landscape. I mean, I, truthfully, I don't think we know how the last 24 months of stimulus, political activity, you know, legislature, all of these yeah. laws that have been passed, we're not going to know the repercussions of all this stuff no, for we're still years. Dude, we won't Five, know for 10, decades. 15 years. We're still in the baby stage. Yo, they yeah. do, there's a law. really feel what printing 40% of your money turns into exactly. that's gonna hurt bro cool. cuomo wants to spend before he left office for solar because that's the industry i am i'm in he wants to spend like 350 billion oh, yeah, on that. offshore solar programs and there's a whole article i was reading that like dude listen if they say 350 billion that's really 400 billion or 450 billion and bro they they've collected over the last 10 years they've collected 22.7 billion dollars from homeowners to fund other people to get solar. So $22.7 in 10 years. Now they want to collect $400 billion in the next 10, 20 years. Bro, it's like 35x. That... Where's it going? Right in people's bills again? Same <laughs> like, thing? same it's shit, yeah. Right out of your central Bills and people and other taxes and things they're going to do to charge and fund. And it's just like, I, I don't understand. This is a whole nother topic. But I don't understand how politicians. Corruption. I don't know it's how they don't corruption. see that topic of like, we're fucking destroying the state. Because they're 
And all they think of is, well, if we can get more tax revenue, we could help fix the state. But that's literally the complete opposite. They need to fucking stop doing that. Well, the problem is that government in and of itself is completely inefficient in managing money. Terrible. Right? I mean, look at our national, look at the debt ceiling, the debt. right? Just look at how much credit, money is owed. Our credit score yeah. should mean nothing because yeah. well, the United States has the worst credit score on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> like, they've tapped yeah, into what's it. What's the U.S. credit score? It's got to be like, a, what's the lowest? Like a 12. No, it's lower. Yeah, for them, they have like a 250. They set the new benchmark. But that's the issue, right? It's not a revenue issue. It's a spending issue. Correct. And it's just... You know, when you start talking about politics, it's completely yeah. different. All right, well, let's switch yeah, to let's, talk. Let's <laughs> let's talk, talk about politics enough on this. All right, I'm going to go on to this because we're talking about that. I'll relate it to this. So we're talking about investment properties. I know you own some. You own some investment properties. I'm now finally trying to get in, into them. Um, we've been speaking about it this whole time. But really, debt, money is just debt to the government. So like the money in the your pocket, the money reserve. in my pocket, it's created by debt. Right. So really the best way it is a dollar bill is a bill is of a, debt. Correct. So really the best way to accumulate more wealth is it sounds kind of bad if, if you ha- if you can do it and get good debt. <laughs> good debt is right. a great don't thing. Don't tell this to everyone. I know. Some people don't know yeah, I got to give a disclaimer before this. Right? Don't get into debt. Card. Don't get I, don't get into bad. These debt guys debt. told me to go take out a twenty five percent interest yeah. credit card. And, I just bought uh, another car. Goddamn! <laughs> Put fifty thousand dollars on my my Amex and. Uh, yeah, I, I have a problem with doing stuff like that. But. If your debt can afford to pay itself off. Correct. So the thing I was getting to is that good debt is the best way to create wealth. If you can get debt on real estate, if you can get right. debt a on debt that some can people. Pay itself off. So I know people taking debt to buy bitcoins, buy whatever, right? But oh, that's I, crazy. I wouldn't do all that. Listen. Don't my whole get, point don't is get margin calls. Yeah. <laughs> my whole point is when you get good debt, you can seriously create a lot of wealth and you can get a really good velocity of, of money, kind of like the burst strategy, because you're refinancing, you're taking your debt back yeah. out, and you just yeah. keep moving that same money. You really didn't you only needed whatever, let's say the fifty grand to start, and you can move that fifty grand through ten properties. You know what yeah. I mean? You don't have to accumulate also, more money. Yeah, with the burr, you could literally have an infinite return, right? You can infinite, have it yeah. where you have zero dollars left in the deal and you own a property with equity yeah. and cash flow, and then you still have your initial principal investment. All right, we're gonna get into and that because I think that's a huge topic. Debt is the only money you can't get taxed on. Correct. Well, that's the other untaxable event. Well, that's a very interesting thing. So a lot of I don't know if you've seen this, but a lot of billionaires, what they're doing now is they live off of so they've recorded no income and this is how they pay no taxes. They borrow loans using their stock or their assets as collateral and refinancing of assets is not income. Correct. It's it's free money. So you refinance and you get a million dollars and you live off a million dollars for that year. You're not paying any taxes. And then if now again it's it's a hedge right there's a, there's always a caveat to that yep. because the asset has to continue to appreciate mm-hmm. yep and that's how again talking about housing that's how we ended up in 2008 was people made that gamble and the asset didn't continue to appreciate correct however there are ways that you can you know to your point there are ways that you can you know better your financial situation and oh. and it's really about leverage yeah right that's really what you're talking about good debt versus bad debt good debt Buying a real estate property, investing in a business, bad debt, going out and buying a Rolex. Yeah, you terrible. Know what I mean? Well, actually, Never no. That. Actually, right now, Some buying a Rolex, watches, <laughs> <laughs> right cars, now, it might be okay. Used cars, yeah. all that shit. Used car. A car is the number one, right? Credit yeah. card yeah. debt, car debt. Those are the things that really burden you. Yeah. And I mean, when you talk about financials, and and a lot of the time, I mean, being that, being in real estate, what's really interesting talking about investments 
is how many people I feel like real estate investment is having almost like a moment where so many young people are becoming interested in it because we are looking for alternatives to the typical nine to five job. They're looking for ways to kind of invest in your, exactly. I know so many kids, by the way, I know you just said the average is a 57 year old woman. Yep. Right, and I've seen it for so long, but it's. I feel like that's going to change. I know so many young people my age and younger who are going and getting their real estate yep. license right now. Also, my mother is. So that. Fits <laughs> well, there you go. How's your mom? She's probably pretty it's a close. Little <laughs> well, you know, when you look at the real estate industry, there's always ebbs and flows, right? If you look at yeah. the number of, re- just to talk about real estate brokers for a moment, the the National Association of Realtors, the New York State Association of Realtors, will tell you ninety percent of realtors will never make one sale. Yeah. So 90% of people who get their license will never make the, the one sale, yep. um, yeah. which is understandable. I mean, the, the barrier to entry is extremely low. 75-hour licensing course, two multiple-choice tests, and right. you're done. Yeah. Right? Um, now, the, the when you go and get your license, they don't teach you how to be a real estate agent. They teach you how not to get in trouble. That's yeah. all they're teaching you. It's all case law. It's all you know lead paint disclosures, agency disclosures. It's all... Here's the paperwork that you have your clients sign to not get sued. (laughs) That's really all they're teaching you. They're not teaching you how to generate business. And so a lot of people will get in with misconceptions. I mean, I see it all the time. We have people come in, whether they join our team, whether they come into the office, and they come in super enthusiastic – like anything else, like any, right. it's the same thing as small business, right? What do they say? Ninety percent of small businesses they fail, fail in the first yeah. five years, well, and then after that, the be, next five, another fifty. Yeah, your own you small have to business. Be an entrepreneur. They teach, all they teach you is how not to crash the car, but you got to be a good driver, and you got to know people and where you're going. Exactly. So what's happening now, I think, is we're garnering a lot of attention, and a lot of people get interested and go nowhere with it. Yeah. And you can give them all the advice in the world, but there's so many different factors, and that's you could probably do a two-hour podcast just on that. Yeah. But. <laughs> A lot of people are becoming interested in, in getting involved in real estate. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that now. There's a lot of great opportunities. Uh, and, and really, for anybody who wants to get involved in real estate, my biggest recommendation would be to find people like yourself who have experience and who you can talk to and who have done different types of deals yeah. and can kind of guide you through. Because you can buy a book, you can listen to a podcast, but as we've talked about, Every situation is different and you really need that nuance to the conversation to be able to say, this is what you should do if I were in your shoes and, you know, reading a book, it's like, oh, you should go buy a, you know, do a house hack, right? Live in one unit, rent out the other, use an FHA That's what I did. It's just the generic stuff. I was reading so many books and listening to all these guys' podcasts for the last like two years about real estate investing. And I never felt comfortable until I talked to you, who's my friend who actually did it. And we talked about logistics of it. I'm like, holy fuck. Okay, that's why the guy said that on that podcast. That's why this makes sense. But well, listening to it is something a book could never do for you. So, like, I know Poughkeepsie, right? Localized yeah. knowledge. Those books are just like this is what you can do. Yeah. But yeah. like, I know this area. I would buy in this area. Every book says I'm don't buy in New York too. Yeah, <laughs> Every single book. But like, I know this area. I wouldn't go down to Georgia and yeah. start buying properties because I don't know shit down there. I don't know the environment. There's also something to be said, too, when you look at, like, what people give as advice as, like, the safe thing to advise people yeah. to do. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, I'm just going to tell you to do what everybody else is telling you to do because nobody's going to come back and be like, you shouldn't have said that. Right? Well, you shouldn't have done that. to do. Right. Right. Exactly. It's, it's like, don't invest in New York. Well, it's like, okay, well, I live in New York. Right. <laughs> right? I'm not moving. Yeah. This is where my career is. This is where my job is. So yeah. you really, I think, am of the opinion that you need to find a way. Because, look, in every market, people are making money. 
yeah. right? Yeah. Everywhere you go, people are making money. You uh-huh. just have to find the ways to do it within wherever you are, right? Yeah. right? And finding a mentor, finding somebody who can kind of guide you through the process is really step one mm-hmm. because they can say, look, everybody's situation is different. If you're a contractor with 10 years of experience and you have really good subcontractors and you've localized knowledge and you have a really good system that's running your business, mm-hmm. you're much better off going and buying off-market deals at 50 cents on the dollar that need $100,000 right. in renovation because you can do the burst strategy, right. right? Why buy something at the height of the market that's completely turnkey that somebody else has renovated right. for a premium? Right. It just doesn't make sense. But if you're a brand new investor who has no idea what you're doing and you're going to live in one unit and rent out the other and you're going to live for free, then buying that completely turnkey property is a no-brainer because yeah. you don't, there's left. no risk, right? Yeah. Right? Because all of, the, all of the potential hazards that could yeah. happen to you by taking ownership of a property, boiler goes yeah. $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 out yeah. the window. Right. You need a new roof. out the window. And if you're going and buying a house hack and you're doing an FHA loan with 3.5% down and you're buying it with $20,000 in your bank account... It's pretty hard to fuck that up. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But the thing is, if something goes wrong and you just spent all your money buying the house, now you're in trouble. And you're in the game, too. If you didn't buy a property property that was in good condition. So these are the things that you really need to have someone to kind of guide you through the process. Yeah, Yeah. I would... Listen, I haven't done either of them yet, but I would say if you don't know shit about real estate, it's probably a terrifying thing to try and go buy. I'm a, trying to god my boy. Buy, I'm buy a, show him the buy a hand. bad, yeah, buy a bad piece of real estate and fucking. He's, he's, knows yeah. he's talking about this guy. But no, I'm saying it's it's bad. If if I didn't know shit, if I tried to go on this on my own and I tried to buy a property that needed to be a gut renovated, bro. Oh my God. I wouldn't sleep for six months I could until see it was you done. In the building crying mm-hmm. with no light on because you can't afford the electric. <laughs> what did I'd I do? be like, I wouldn't know it's what scary. the fuck to do, bro. I wouldn't know what to do. It's scary. It's so not if you have no easy. real estate knowledge, that's that's like that's like trying to run a marathon without ever trying to run or without ever yeah. walking in your life. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. I couldn't imagine. Well, I think to that do applies it. to anything. Don't get into anything without speaking to someone else who's got experience in it first. Right, and there's so many gurus and and mentors out there who want to sell you a program or sell yeah. you a. You know, hey, come take my course. It's five hundred bucks, and then at the end of the course, they're like, "Come take my next course. Yeah. It's five thousand dollars, and it's ten thousand dollars." And it's like, do you actually make money in real estate, or do you just make money selling me a course? Right. And some of them know you half know? the stuff, but they're not giving you what you really need to know. Like, I, I've been to what the fuck is it called? Fortune Builders, I think yes. it's called, or something like that, yeah. bro. Who, who hasn't been to that one? I was like seventeen. I went to that. It cost like two hundred bucks. Or <laughs> that's something. like a rite of passage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a, that's how you get christened in the real estate investing. Yep. And I went to that, and like, dude, they they give you really general general information, but they're selling you it. Learn stuff, yeah, but it's like I nothing. think that's interesting. What you just I said. got all the books and shit. I got like stacks of book this much from them. How much is that? Two hundred bucks. It came with the thing. They, they're useful, right? In keeping your bed from falling over. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? Dude, I don't books? think I've touched them ever. Actually, exactly. that's a lie. I've touched them and re- read stuff in there, but. It just, dude, it doesn't matter what and, you're and reading. Look, you got to go talk to somebody. I do believe there's a place for all of that. Like, look, I read every single day. I have a very large book collection that I, you know, audiobooks, yeah. podcasts, all of that. There's yep. definitely a time and a place for all of that information. But nothing is going to, you know, teach you better than having a mentor and then also having experience. The idea of a mentor is really just to accelerate the process, right? To help you avoid the mistakes that somebody else has made. Because if someone can come to you and say, if Tony comes to you and says, hey, don't do this, it just saved you, whether it be buying a bad property or 
you know, making a bad decision in terms of spending unnecessary money. Yep. I see so many people who are brand new investors. They go in and they over improve their rentals. Yeah. You know, they're putting in all of these high end finishes. And it's like you look at then I have seasoned investors who have been around and been in the game for 40 years. And they're saying, OK, uh, I want to do new new lighting in my units. Right. The, the rent as is is fourteen hundred dollars. If I just do new lighting and nothing else, what is the new rent? And it's like, okay, now it's $1,500. Okay, so it's $100 a month more. That's $1,200 a year. What's that cost going to be? Yeah. Uh, five grand. Okay, so it's $1,200 over $5,000. It's roughly a you know, 25%, 20%. It's you know, return on my money. Yep. Yeah. And they say, okay, can I get 20% somewhere else? Or can, is this a good investment? Yeah. yeah. And that's really just a very basic way of looking yeah. at it. And that's, that's why I like investment real estate so much is because – when you deal with the regular, you know, single family homeowner or whatever that is, owner occupant real estate, yep. it's much more emotional, yep. right? It's much more about the the connection, the trust building, the comfortability, and it's much more of a process. Whereas with the investment side of things, it's all analytical. Yeah, it's just line. numbers. It's, it's calculations. Yeah. It's literally just calculations and, and looking at formulas and deciding if that is worth the the risk and the investment or not. Mm-hmm. So again, I think there is a time and place for all of that, um, but the best the best way to learn is with a mentor and from experience. And if you can condense the time that it takes for you to learn those things, you can become you can accelerate the process. Kind of what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast with it being a time game, an accumulation yep. game, yep. right? It's just like anything else, compounding interest. It's compounding acceleration of, mm-hmm. of your investment. So if you could buy one property your first year, two properties your second year, three properties your third year, you're going to be in a much better position than if you buy one property your first year, you made a bad decision, and now you're sidelined for three years trying to rebuild the income yeah, to well, buy another so property. Huge. Yeah. It's so huge. Yeah. Well, that was a pretty good podcast. What do you think, boys? This was pretty last minute. Jake, uh, I called him last night at like 7 p.m., and he yeah. came here nice and bright and early. Brought his A-game. Thank you guys so, for having So that you, was pretty dude. solid. Yeah. And, Any, uh, uh, anything Ending notes on that? No, I mean, I mean I think he fucking ended it pretty it, great. If so. you're going to get into the game, have a good mentor with specialized information rather I agree. than reading a book and thinking, I know it all. Call Tony. He'll mentor you. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, when I, I'll, I'll end with the story. When I when I first tried to do this, I was I was just showing you. Remember I showed you the other day? Epic Homes. That yes. video, that picture yeah. I had, I tried to get into real estate like when I was like 17. I didn't know shit. I didn't have a thousand bucks in my pocket. And I mean, I went and had a logo design. I made Epic Homes LLC or some bullshit. And I had What's like the, the whole thing. That? <laughs> you make it was on Fiverr, bro. I spent like five bucks. You know, the app Fiverr where they design shit for you. No. But I, I went and did that. That's when I took the Fortune Builders program and everything. And then I went to like go try to find a deal. And I'm like, bro. What the fuck am I doing? Like, what what do I even do? Like, who do I talk to? So, a hundred percent. If you could just find one person who's, they they could just be a contractor. They could just be something where you at least get a little knowledge, and that'll usually grow a little bit. It doesn't have to be someone who's done a million deals, but someone who's done one or someone, someone who's, a who's further along in the process than you. Correct. That's yeah, really that's all it is. Yeah. I mean, who's ahead of you in the race. And what's interesting is that's the same thing as if you own one property, five properties. Like I have mentors who are yeah. just friends of mine who own 15, 20, 30, you know, units yep. in the local area. Yep. And it's just when I have a question or I need something, I want to know what their opinion of something is. They've seen it a I million times. Up. Exactly. And the big thing, honestly, is so many people are afraid to reach out and ask for help. And 
the vast majority of people that I know are willing to give their time to help people. Yeah. Because yeah. if you're someone who's been in the in the game for 30 years, you know what it's like to be that 17-year-old kid yeah. who's like, what the fuck is going on? No, I don't know like, what's happening here. Yeah. Right? Like, what do yeah. you like what's up what's a hot what's the difference between gas heat and electric heat and, and yeah. oil heat and all these different things, like yep. very basic entry-level things. It's good to have, you know, those people because they'll help you. They're willing to help you. They want to see you succeed yep. because it is a collaborative business, right? So yeah. many deals are done. And most of the time, the best deals are done, you know, behind closed doors. We don't know about those best deals yeah. because they're happening off market. They're happening between people who know each other. Yeah. If you have a hundred unit apartment complex in the city of Poughkeepsie, what's the point of putting it on the market? You already know the players in the area who yeah. are going to buy that. Yeah. No, right? that Nobody on the market is going to buy it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or you know the brokers who are going to know the buyers who are going to do that. Right. So that's not you're not seeing those types of deals happen. You're yeah. not seeing the best deals happen no. because they're happening between the mentor and the mentee. I, I right. literally know people who are in that type of relationship and they bought their second, third, fourth property from their mentor because yeah. it's a win-win relationship. Yeah. So it, it's really just about, all about finding that, that person to kind of help you along. You got any uh, real estate horror stories? I mean, I can tell you about every day in my last week. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, or what's maybe what's the biggest challenge you faced in your personal journey? You know, every day presents new challenges. Honestly, I think it's it's more so than anything being in the market. The biggest difficulty, and it's it's all based on the conversation, I think, too. Like, if you're working with buyers, right now it's really tough. It's really hard to be a buyer in this market yeah. just because yeah. you're getting outbid, you're dealing with... It, and it's frustrating for us because, look, we have personal relationships with all of our clients. We want to see our clients, whether it's investors succeed, whether it's homeowners, find that perfect house. And it is discouraging when you have a client who's been looking for 18 months and they've made six offers and they're not getting anything. Yeah. Yeah. And they're great people and you want to see them succeed you want to see them get that dream home they get so excited just to, to disappoint them so yeah. you know in this market i'd say that's been the biggest challenge is working with people who you know that they're ready to go that you want to help them out and it's just in some ways you can't right yeah. you can only you can only make um you can only do so much to make and in that there, right? thread the other piece that for me personally i would say the most challenging thing to do is work with a client who doesn't take your advice right i yeah. mean there's all sorts of conversations with people regarding real estate brokers, right? Mm -hmm. And not all real estate brokers are the same by any stretch. If you look at the, the rankings of any local MLS, you'll see that, you know, in all reality, the majority of business, 20, 30, 40% of market share can be held by literally 10 or 15 people. Yeah. You know, in Dutchess County, you might see the top 10, 15, 20 brokers doing hundreds of millions of dollars in business. And then the rest of the list, there's 3,000, 4,000 brokers, and it's like a fight over just a couple of transactions. Yeah. So it's not that everybody's created equally, right? But you have to have a broker who's adding value. And the whole point of working with a broker is to have someone to guide you through the process. Someone with specialized information. Exactly. We do this every single day. We see things all the time that, look, if you don't see these types of scenarios, I firmly believe that a broker's biggest value is not in finding houses it's not in you know telling you whether or not what to pay. It's really problem solving. Yeah. It's knowing that obstacles are going to come up throughout the entire process and knowing how to solve those problems. Mm -hmm. If it's title issues, municipal issues, issues with the town, whatever that issue may be, 
you need to know how to navigate those problems when they come up. And if you can do that, you can put your clients in the best position to succeed. So that's why experience is so important. So that's where a broker really adds value. If the broker can't help you solve the problem, if they're not willing to help you solve the problem, then you have a worthless broker. You have someone who's not doing anything for you. So for me, I look at that and say, my value is in clients taking my advice, Yeah. right? And look, we're, nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. You, sometimes you may say, hey, offer this amount and you get outbid. It's just the nature of the business. Right. But giving advice, I mean, I could tell you so many times in the last year where I say, just in a bidding war, this is what the house is going to sell for. This number gets it done. And then they go 10,000 less than that number. They don't get the house. And then you see that the other offer was 5,000 less than what you told them. And they would have gotten the house if yeah. they had just taken your advice. And then Ouch. these people are in the market for 18 Ouch. months, 24 months. And so if you're going to work with a broker and you're going to, you're going to hire someone to represent you, take their advice, listen to their guidance, and, and, and you know, it'll, it'll end up being the right fit for you. It'll, it'll work in your benefit as long as you're with the right person. Trust your broker. In the long run. That's if he's it. the right one. If Trust this one. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, that's, that's ultimately why we're here is to try and help as many people as possible. I mean, that's truly why, whether it's myself, whether it's, you know, our team, um, the reason that we're so successful is because we have experience we, and we're collaborative. Again, we have, yeah. if I haven't dealt with something, we have four or five agents on our team. Somebody has dealt with that situation yeah. and can help us through that process. Right. A lot of so. resources when you exactly. have a bunch of people. Exactly. You got to have the answers to the questions, but you also have to know which questions to ask, when to ask them. Right. All right. Well, that was awesome. Two really dudes, insightful. three legs. Listen, five, man, five, what are like- you, three dudes, five legs right now, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Like, subscribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check us out. Thank you for coming on. No, dude. thank I feel you guys like for having me. As, as much about your you personally as as we would have liked to, but maybe we'll get you on soon. And I'd like to do a follow up on this and see oh, how definitely. the market does change. I'll come whenever you guys. We'll want have to, to come. Co- we'll have to come. We'll have to come back in like 12, 18 months. Yeah. And see what the market's going to be like then. And we'll have to have another conversation. Absolutely this. interesting. And hopefully, Absolutely. I have a couple rental properties we'll by then too. Freezing. I could be in the game. Well, the market's really bad, <laughs> and we can't afford heat anymore. <laughs> Inflation's 25%. <laughs> Fucking shit. That's the if most true thing. you still have a computer and you're watching this, hell. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Thanks for having me, guys.